This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. The reality is the inclination of saying things we regret and, you know, it's uncontrollable. And we're going to find that trying to tame the tongue is not easy. It's not easy. But there's a lot of danger if we don't. How many of us have been there? You know, we say things and we regret it. You know, if you didn't, you're lying. Really pay attention to today's study. You know, we all have been there. We have said things that we regret and we can't take back. Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. He said, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking but he who restrains his lip is wise. It's really easy to get caught up in an argument and say things we instantly regret, especially now in our digital world where we have full-on conversations and never actually see the person's face. Things can be miscommunicated and or misinterpreted very quickly and easily. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will encourage you to take the time to be intentional and considerate when you communicate in any way, shape, or form with God's people. Well. Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of James chapter 3 as he begins his message, Taming the Tongue. James chapter 3. As we continue our study of the book of James, we've made our way to chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let's go before the Lord in prayer before we begin our study. Heavenly Father, oh yes, Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the family here. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to, to be family. To be family, that's what we are, Lord. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, just to witness their boldness to stand for Jesus Christ. Uh, we just pray that they continue, Lord, that you be with them, protect them. We thank you for your word. We're so excited, Lord, to uh, hear what you have to say. Um, Lord, we learned so much in the book of James. Uh, it's kind of bringing a lot of conviction for most of us, I know for myself, Lord. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. The same Holy Spirit who inspired James to write this letter. So open up our eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand your word, and our hearts ready to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3. Well, the last time we were together, we looked at James chapter 2. We looked at verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, where James was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, he talks about a faith that works, a faith that works. Actually, he says, Faith without works is dead, is dead. And what does that mean? Now, James is not referring to a faith that leads to salvation because we can't work our way into the kingdom of God. We can't work our way for salvation. But he's talking about a faith that happens after salvation. As believers in Christ, we must uh, have this. There must be evidence. There must be fruit of a life that's being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so the faith that leads to salvation is only the beginning. But we continue in faith, do we not? We continue, as the scripture says, 
says, walk by faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so uh, we continue in this life of faith with the Lord. It doesn't end at the cross, but it continues throughout our lives until Christ comes. Now, this believing in God and faith, um, you know, James kind of puts a verse here that really stands out to me. And I love this verse because it kind of really brings conviction. In verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, you believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. So what does that tell you and I? Demons believe in God. So there's not an atheist. There's not a demon that's an atheist. They all believe in God, um, but they don't follow God. Uh, so anyhow, we see that three times in our passage, the last time in chapter 2, James tells us that faith without works is dead. Three times in verse 17, verse 20, and verse 26. A true believer, the faith of a true believer has is like two sides to every coin. Two sides to every coin. We have two sides of this faith, if you will. There's a side that is before, you know, that leads to salvation on one side. The other side is a faith after salvation. On one side is the root of faith. The other side, we see the fruit of faith. On one side is a passive side of faith. The other side is the active side of faith. So faith without works is dead. There must be evidence of, of, of your faith, evidence to the world to show that you believe in God. That's why James said, what profit is it that you have faith without works? It profits no one. It's not, it's not showing anyone that you believe in Christ and that God is alive in your life. Uh, but your, your faith, as you continue to life in Christ, it, it's an example. It, it, it's a testimony. It leads people to Christ, and it gives glory to God. So faith without works is dead. If you could remember it this way, a workless, a workless faith is a worthless faith. A workless faith is a worthless faith. So that was our study um, uh, the last time we are in James. Now that brings us to chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3. Now, there, is a, there was a preacher, theologian, pastor, missionary by the name of Dr. Nathaniel Van Cleve. Once time, no, he's, he's on to be with the Lord. He died around 2000. But uh, w one night he gave a Bible study. And at the Bible study, he said this, tomorrow night I'm going to identify the biggest troublemaker in the church. That's what he said. The next night, almost half the town showed up to church. <laughs> and that very night, he did identify the biggest troublemaker in the church, and that was the tongue. And that's what our text is all about. We're gonna, and he taught on James chapter 3. And the tongue is the most dangerous part of the human body. It's the biggest troublemaker, right? And we know that. We've probably contributed to that, maybe most of us, even me. Uh, but, you know, let us read and see what James has to say about this, this, this issue about the tongue. And so let us read verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3. James writes, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little, little member and boasts great things. So how great a forest a little fire kindles? 
and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, this, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring set forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The tongue is the most untainable member of the body, and it's capable of great damage. I'll give you one more story, because we can relate, right? Some of these stories are so related. Anyway, a young man was having a yard sale, and on his yard sale, he was selling a lawnmower. A pastor who was in need of a lawnmower just happens to drive by, and he sees the lawnmower on the, on the lawn there, and he goes up to the young man and says, young man, is this lawnmower for sale? He said, yes. He said, how much is it? He gave him the price, and he said, do you mind if I pull start to see if it works? And he says, sure, go right ahead. So the pastor is like pulling, you know, he's pulling, pulling. However, the lawnmower doesn't start. So he asked the boy, are you sure it works? He said, yeah, it works. He said, okay. So he went back and started pulling, pulling, and it doesn't start. So he goes back to him and says, son, does this lawnmower work? I've been pulling this, and it's not starting. He said, yeah, but you have to curse at it. The young man, he said, young man, do you mean I have to curse at it? I've been a pastor for over 20 years, I and mean, I haven't been cursing 20 years. The young man said, well, keep trying. It'll come back. So... The reality is the inclination of saying things we regret, and, you know, it's uncontrollable. And we're going to find that trying to tame the tongue is not easy. It's not easy. But there's a lot of danger if we don't. How many of us have been there? You know, we say things that we regret it. You know, if you didn't, you're lying. Really pay attention to today's study. You know, we all have been there. We have said things that we regret and we can't take back. Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. He said, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking but he who restrains his lip is wise. And so, well, we want to be wise, but more importantly, we want to honor God with our tongue. Now, before we begin our verse-by-verse study, let's look at the word tongue. The word tongue is mentioned 150 times in the Bible, 52 times in the New Testament. It is the Greek word glossa, and it means the tongue, an organ or member of the body, speech, language, or dialect. And uh, so we can see that the word tongue uh, can have a variety of definitions uh, attributed to it, depending on the context in which it is used. And so the context in which James is talking about here, he's talking about the speech, what we say, the words that come out of our mouths. Uh, Again, because the the word tongue could be referring to uh, like the day of Pentecost, you know, when they spoke in tongues, okay? So it's the same way we use the, the word apple, it, depending on what context we're using it. It could be an apple that we eat from a tree. It could be an apple computer. It could be apple like New York City, or it could be the apple of someone's eye, depending what you're using the word apple. In the same way with the word tongue. But here in the context, James is using it as the words that come out of her mouth. And so apparently, uh, sadly as it is today, the tongue was an issue 
uh, during the time that James was inspired to write this letter. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, he's going to talk about the tongue quite a bit. And as a matter of fact, throughout the whole book, he's going to find, you're going to find that he's make reference to the tongue and controlling tongue. We're going to find something about the tongue in all five chapters. In James chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, he meant to say, Always something about the tongue. For example, we, we looked at chapters 1 and 2. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he writes this, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Chapter 2, verse 12, So speak and so do as who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now we're going to skip over chapter 3 because we're going to study that. But in chapter 4, James chapter 4 verse 11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And in chapter 5 verse 12, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. So we can see the tongue was an issue. It's a serious issue. As a matter of fact, because it's in the word of God, and you'll find many Proverbs, a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, is how to hold and control your tongue. It's an issue back then. Uh, most like, you know, James probably, uh, you know, filled his letter with it because probably James filled kind of, you know, looking back, you know, he was the little brother of Jesus. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And just think that he knew that... He wasn't a good little brother with Jesus. Now, this, this is not recorded anywhere, okay? So don't think, hey, what kind of gospel did you get that from? I'm just thinking, you know? Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? And James probably heard it all the time. James, why can't you be like Jesus? Why can't you be like your brother Jesus, you know? And so, you know, he probably got angry and mad, and he probably said things to Jesus that he probably regret. As a matter of fact, as he got older during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, he mocked, mocked, they mocked Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, they're coming to get you. Why don't you just go to the, the, the festival? Go to Jerusalem. Because they knew that they were going to kill Jesus. But instead of saying, hey, Jesus, we're here to help you. You know, bro or half bro or whatever. No, what they did was they mocked him. Hey, go to Jerusalem. If you, if you're, show your disciples your miracles. Later on, they came to faith and they knew the Lord. So we all have regrets of things we said. And we always wish we could always take them back. And so the topic here that James is going to uh, speak about is, um, and, and teach us is in chapter 3 of James. For those of you who are taking notes, we're going to look at our studies divided into three sections. In three sections, in verses 1 and 2, in verses 1 and 2, the teacher and the tongue. The teacher and the tongue. That's in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 to 6, verses 3 to 6, controlling the tongue. That's controlling the tongue, and that's in verses 3 to 6. In verses 7 to 12, the destructiveness of the tongue. The destructiveness of the tongue, and that's in verses 7 to 12. Well, we read our text. Let's now study it verse by verse. James chapter 3, verse 1. He begins with, my brethren. Now understand that he's not writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And we're going to see why he's writing to Christians, but he's saying, my brethren. As a matter of fact, the word, my, the word brethren is mentioned 15 times in James' letter. So he begins saying, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so as for the teacher, the teacher here he's referring to, James is referring to one who is called to teach in the house of God. He's talking about those who have the, the, the office or the role of a teacher. Now, in the broad sense, we are all called to teach. How then will we share the gospel? Uh, 
Husbands uh, are to be a covering to their wives. Uh, you know, wash the wives with the word of the word, Ephesians 5 tells us. We have to teach uh, the word of God to our children. We are to, ha- you know, we teach, the- we have Bible studies, and that's how we teach each other, right? Uh, but he's referring here to the office because in the actual Greek text, it reads like this in the Greek text. This is how it reads. Do not press yourself into the role of teaching. Do not press yourself into the role of teaching. And so even you can see that James is including himself. So James is not discouraging anyone who feels they, they have a, a call or they want to uh, you know, answer the call to teach or they, you know, to be uh, put in the office of a teacher. Uh, but he's just letting you know how to not take it lightly. Why? Why don't take it lightly? Why do you want to think? You know, why do you want to think about being a, a teacher in the house of God? Well, there are two reasons. Number one, obviously because God takes his word seriously. God takes his word seriously. In Psalms 138, verse 2, it says, for, for you have magnified your word above all your name. That's how serious God takes his word. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, because it will. Revelation tells us that. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so the word of God is important, is serious. You know, Jesus is the word. And so the second reason is because teachers who teaches God's word will receive a stricter judgment. A stricter judgment. Now notice uh, that James is using a plural pronoun. He's using we. He's not speaking in French, but he's including himself. He's giving, you know, giving this warning, you know, he's not including himself. It's we. We will be held. So James, we know he's a teacher. He's an apostle in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, He's a teacher of the word of God. And he knows that judgment for a teacher is much greater because of the position of influence a teacher has. And thus, that's why the position for most people, it becomes very attractive where they force their way into the position rather than actually being called by God. Oh, yeah, God called me. Yeah, God called me. Okay, yeah, okay. I like what Chuck Smith used to say. Uh, If you're called to be a pastor or a teacher, just turn around. There's anyone following you. It's very simple. Many people like to carry the title of a pastor, and they're not even pastoring a church. That's not the definition of a pastor. He's a shepherd. And so uh, people like to put themselves in a position because it makes them look good. You know, they're, they're up there, and they're in a Bible study and a podium like this here, and they, 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 they get the attention, and they want people to like, love them and their wisdom. They want to show off, and, and it's a very dangerous thing. So he said, listen, be careful what you're doing. That's the bottom line. And so, you know, even Jesus warned that there would be many false teachers, preachers, and prophets. And when the time comes for judgment, there will be greater judgment from the Lord for those who put themselves in the position of a teacher. Or they might even very well be called because a lot of people start off well but end really badly. And they're teaching the wrong things. They're misleading people. And people are leaving the faith and people are, in, you know, are not coming to Christ because of their teaching. And so the role of a teacher, he's just giving, giving some warning here. Don't let not many of you become teachers. Think about it. Think about it. Because a teacher's greater influence translates into greater responsibility. And if not careful, leads into greater judgment. Um, I remember a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Dave Rosales, you know, was sharing about, you know, his time in ministry and how people came up to say, yeah, God has called me to the ministry. He said, you know what? God called you in the ministry? Well, praise the Lord. If God calls you in the ministry, great. But if he didn't, be careful. (laughs) 
And that is the truth. And I know a lot of people that they feel, oh, God's calling me, God's calling me. They go start or something, it goes nowhere. Oh, God is calling me over here. Oh, God is calling me. It's okay, where is God? <laughs> you know, God got you bouncing around without sheep. You've been to like five places and you don't have any sheep. And so uh, people like to put themselves in position because, you know, they just want the attention. And so he's just saying, listen, be careful. Now, many of you be teaching because why? You're going to be judged by your words. You're going to be judged by your words. Now, Although the tongue, the word tongue is not specifically mentioned here in verse 1, the underlying thought is, it's about the tongue. And then there's, you know, one who uses the tongue to teach the word of God, you know, um, assumes at a responsibility before God and man and will be judged. And so we need to be careful. And, and I don't know, this doesn't make you feel, uh, you know, doesn't put fear in your heart. I know it does for me because I know I'm responsible for everything I say. That's why I'm careful with everything I say. I may speak Spanglish, but I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the truth. I'm gonna get the facts. I'm gonna do my homework. I'm gonna study hard to make sure that what I teach is 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 of the Word of God. Not trying to put my thoughts or my wisdom or myself in it. That's why most of my prayers before I begin said, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to be the teacher. Who inspired James to write the book of James? The Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit inspired any of the writers, 40 authors in the Bible, is the same Holy Spirit that we want to be our teacher. We want to read it as the way the Holy Spirit had tended for us to read and study and live it. And so that's why it's so important that we pray, we depend on the Holy Spirit. You know, we tend to interpret it to, to fit our agenda, to fit our theology, our doctrine, uh, but we need to teach it as, as it was written. And so uh, teaching the word of God is very important, and, and one needs to be careful. Verse 2, he goes on to say in verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. We all stumble in many things, and he's still including himself here. We all stumble, every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, or, or you just came, surrender your life to Christ. Uh, we all stumble. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Nobody is infallible. We all have feet of clay. No one is perfect. There's only one who's perfect, Jesus Christ. And the scripture constantly affirms that to us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes this, For all, not some, for all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. But God, by God's grace, every single one of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we're not sinners in a sense that we practice sin. You know, we do mess up. We do sin. But 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, if, if anyone uh, uh, sinned, uh, we can come to the advocate, Jesus Christ. If we say we don't have sin, we are liars. <laughs> and he's writing to believers. But we can come to Jesus Christ who is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And God knows that. We've been renewed day by day. He who began a good work in you, when you gave your life to Christ, he's going to continue to be with you. He's going to complete it until the day of Christ. He's going to complete it until you stand before God. I'm Have you asked God to help you? As I grew up, this was a common phrase used in conjunction with numerous situations, from lost items to important decisions to doing what was right in a difficult moment. It reminds me of the verse in James 1.5 that talks about asking God when you just don't know what to do. Also in verse 12, where James reminds Christians that the promise of heaven hinges not only on accepting the gift of salvation, but also standing firm in what you believe while resisting sin. Having faith in God is the stepping stone to real humility, love, patience, and growth. 
Are you feeling stagnant in your relationship with God? Do you need someone in your corner? If so, here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. Just for you folks that aren't close and any who are interested, visit runningtheraceradio.com to not miss out on the many great ministry opportunities of Calvary Chapel of Milford. Our time has come to an end, but thank you so much for joining us today on this broadcast of Running the Race.